Happy holidays, you, and welcome to Cantorian You. Today, we sit down with Jim McGinnis, talk about a legend, an icon here in the city of San Diego. Uh, Jim, been broadcasting for almost half a century, also happens to be a neighbor, and I love his wife, Sandy Bannister. We talk about that in this forthcoming interview, as well as some kick-ass stories. Talk about some awesome rock and roll stories from the 70s. Woo-wee! You're in for a treat. Also want to talk about a couple of things here before we get to Jim. Something about uh, Kelly Slater that I noticed during the Pipe Masters that I think is a great life lesson. And also an exchange I had with Rob Mult, who a lot of you know, uh, he, he started and is still affiliated with the U Network in some capacity, but I had a very funny exchange with Rob the other day that I wanted to talk about. I tried calling him. He's not answering the phone right now. I'm going to try him one more time. He, he's probably, let's see here, it's 11.30 Tuesday morning. That means Rob's probably in bed, uh, still hungover. Okay, so want to thank Tori Holistics. Rob, you should visit Tori. <laughs> Rob doesn't have a med card, but that's okay. In fact, Rob used to make fun of people with medical marijuana cards. Not anymore, because uh, starting January 1st, it's recreational. And uh, this is nuts. Tory Holistics actually got the first adult-use recreational license in the state of California. And not just San Diego, the entire state just last week. So they're geared up and ready to uh, see you starting January 1st without a med card. So if you don't have a recommendation, you can just walk in with a driver's license or a state ID and you're good to go, just like in Colorado or Washington, what have you. So uh, Tory Holistics have been doing it above bar the right way since day one, gearing up for this day, January 1st. So uh, if you're interested in checking them out for THC and or CBD products, the non-psychoactive part of the plant, it's a way to take cannabis without getting high. Uh, they've got all the products there at Tory Holistics, from flowers to edibles to uh, the cartridges for the vape pens and uh, topicals and tinctures, you name it, they got it. Toryholistics.com or Sereno Valley at the 5805 Merge, uh, the closest legal license collective to North County. So the Pipe Masters just wrapped up. In, in fact, if you check out the latest episode of the Monday Mass with Chris Cote, the world's greatest action sports podcast, uh, he's got a full recap, and it's amazing. World champion John John Florence two times in a row. Insane. But uh, that's not what I'm here to talk about. I wanted to talk about Kelly Slater, the greatest of all time, and uh, that move where I believe it's the number two ranked surfer in the world, Medina, dropped in on Kelly and uh, totally screwed up Kelly's ride. And, and the thing that was interesting, you know, a lot of people are freaking out because it's actually within the rules. He had every right to do so, but people are like, come on, man, it's the vet, it's Kelly, it's the goat. How do you do that to Slater? But uh, again, it's within the rules. And the thing that I wanted to address is after it happened, I mean, here Kelly is. He's behind in this heat, and then he gets robbed, or if you will, cock-blocked. But the thing that was interesting to me is how he reacted. Because here you have a guy that's an old vet who's getting burned, and instead of getting pissed, 
he started laughing and threw out the double shakas. And I said to myself, there, right there is a huge life lesson that I, I struggle with to this day. In the eye of getting burned, how do you keep a smile and a good attitude? And that's exactly, exactly what Kelly exhibited, showed in that particular moment. And it was so inspirational because I looked at myself and I was like, man, that's one thing that I've never been able to conquer. And I know what it's related to and you know what it's related. It's with all of us, ego. It's that friggin' ego. How do you let that ego go? That's not your amigo. And take that shit and let somebody drop in on you and be cool with it. Even though you might feel entitled to that wave, doesn't matter. Someone's going to interrupt that flow, drop in on you, and you got to roll with it. Smile, throw up that double shaka. (laughs) Again, thank you to Kelly for a valuable life lesson. And, uh, excuse me. And Kelly also happens to be Surfers Healing alum uh, and so proud to have Surfers Healing as a sponsor of the U Network. If you're not aware of Surfers Healing, please visit them at surfershealing.org. And if you're looking to make a donation to a charitable organization or nonprofit uh, this holiday season, especially before the end of the year with the write-offs and all that stuff, please keep Surfers Healing in mind. Uh, they, they definitely need the support, monetary support, to keep offering free camps to families that uh, have children that are dealing with autism. And, and they take these kids out into the water, again, free camps around the world, and they take them in the water and introduce them to surf therapy, and it has profound results. You can learn more and donate at surfershealing.org. Okay, so uh, before we get to Jim McGinnis... I'm going to try Rob Malt one more time, and uh, if I don't reach him, then I'll just tell a little story, and, and then we'll get to our deal with Jim. But uh, Rob and I have a long history. Rob likes to uh, bust my balls. Hey, this is Henry Rob. Dang. Rob cannot get to his phone right now because he's too busy bombing hills, <laughs> not countries. Get it? At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Rob, how long have you had that uh, outgoing with, uh, with Henry Rollins? Has it been more than 10 years? I'm just curious. Seriously, I'm not busting balls there. But I was calling you to talk to you about our last exchange and how you were busting my balls about this podcast. <laughs> And uh, unfortunately, you're not picking up, so I'm just going to tell the story. Love you, brother. I mean that, even though I stormed out of your office the other day, (laughs) which I didn't. But Rob got me in good because he can and he knows how. But um, I was in there and visiting Rob at work, and I started this whole you thing with Rob and some friends, you know, and Rob and I always go back and forth. And I saw Rob. I did a... uh, He makes fun of me because I love dropping by and surprising him. He works in Sorrento Valley for a skate company, and I uh, have a studio space that I've been using up in Sorrento Valley. So if I'm up there, I'll drop by and see Rob, which I did last week, and he just, whoa, started ripping into me in front of his boss. This guy, uh, I'm trying to think what he calls him, Schmitty. 
Uh, so anyway, Rob in front of the Schmitty guy starts ripping apart my podcast. You know, the whole Cantorian you thing saying that I need to rename it me too, <laughs> which first of all, especially the, the times that we live in today, you, you can't use me to no guy can use the words me too together. So that's the first thing, you know, you can't name something me too that relates to a movement that uh, we can only support and, and listen to, and that's it, period. As it relates to calling the show Me Too, Rob was just saying that every time I have an interview subject on with me, all I'm doing is sitting here going, oh, Me Too, Me Too. <laughs> and he was busting my balls about it. And I can't deny it. I can't deny that I get in conversations and like relating to the guests. And I could certainly see, especially as Rob was busting, especially within the context, uh, which Rob was busting my balls, which is why I wish we had him on right now. Um, I, I get it. I mean, trust me, I get it. But the whole idea, you know, is just me relating and it's not a narcissistic agenda as Rob likes to kick me in the nuts about. So that being said, when I sat down with Jim McGinnis, I wasn't 100 percent present because all I could think about was Rob Moult and not saying the words me too. And I'm pretty sure I went this entire episode without saying those two words. Let's see. <laughs> Cantori and you also brought to you by South Coast Surf Shops. Thank you to Heather, uh, Larry, Steve, the crew at South Coast. You know I love you. This holiday season, please support your local surf shops. Don't buy your surf gear. Amazon.com, okay? Jeff Bezos, as I've said all year, doesn't need your cash, but local surf shops do. So please, whether it's South Coast or the shop down the street from you, that's where you need to go to do your holiday shopping. South Coast carrying all our U merchandise, hats, uh, the new beanies, the new U beanies, long sleeves, you name it, South Coast has it, as well as all the best brands out there. Check them out, five locations between OB and PB, and online at southcoast.com. And be sure to use the, uh, the promo code U with an exclamation mark, because that'll get you online 15% off. All right, it's time for our sit down with the great Jim McGinnis. I can't believe uh, for being neighbors for so long, this is the first time we've really had a chance to sit down. We did pass across paths at the gas station that isn't here anymore. I miss that gas station. Yeah, me too. Big time. Big time. It served a, a very, well, obviously a very useful purpose in a neighborhood where people drive cars. I know. And now the nearest gas station's way over there, like a mile away or something. It's nuts. <laughs> I, you got to drive a mile to oh. get gas now. Oh, I know, our little neighborhood. Oh, it's the all, I do laugh, though, when I see all the traffic backed up here in our little town, and people are freaking out, pulling their hair out, <laughs> trying to get on the 15. I'm like, wow, how times have changed. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Don't miss that. When did you first move to San Diego? Chris, I moved here in the summer of 1973. 
uh, because I got a job offer from KPRI, which was the first underground rock station in San Diego. They they flipped to that in 1968. Okay, with uh, Gabriel Wisdom and a bunch of other people, and then 1973 they called me to said, "You want to be the morning guy?" And I, you know, I hated mornings, but I said, "Well, it's the, I can either live here in the frozen Great White North of Madison, Wisconsin." And do afternoons, or I can go to San Diego and see what happens and do mornings. I said, yeah, sure, I'll do mornings. He said, what do you pay? Mike Harrison was the program director. He says, we pay our our disc jockeys a a living wage. Okay. (laughs) And how much is that? uh, That's the follow-up. 550 bucks a month. Shut up. To do the morning show in 1973. Are you kidding me? It was like 138 bucks a week. Yeah, and my girlfriend at the time, who was later my first wife, uh, she didn't have a job, so the two of us were living on 138. Well, let's see, after taxes, 110 bucks a week, maybe. Oh my god! Yeah, doing mornings in a big market radio station like San Diego. Yeah, really. Let me go grab my dog and make sure he's gonna try me. <laughs> oh, is he gonna be part of the show? Yeah, he's right. gonna come in. He's gonna be friends with you, it's never gonna. Happen. Yeah, he's my best friend now. All right, Phil, you win. <laughs> Felix. So um, so where did you grow up? Is that where you were originally from? Well, I'm a Midwest boy, yeah. Okay. I, I, I was born in Motor City and then uh, left there before I even remembered. And then basically grew up in a suburb of Chicago called Arlington Heights. Okay. And uh, from there I went to uh, college in uh, Wisconsin until I flunked out of there and went to Southern Illinois. Party school with a great broadcast communications department and i got my bs the appropriate degree the the bs from southern illinois university (laughs) and then moved back up to illinois lived with my parents for a while and finally got my first radio job at a really cool underground station in madison called wiba fm or as we called it radio free madison wow it was you know the format was okay there's the records Here's the microphone, and you've got four hours. Do a show. That's awesome. And it was that way. I ran that station for the last couple of years I was there. Okay, and what then, years those were? This what? is 1970 to 73. Okay, I was going to say late 60s or early 70s. Yeah, you could call it late 60s. station went on the air in 69, and I was I joined them six months after they, or yeah, somewhere in that vicinity. And what was it originally that attracted you to radio? Oh, God, just growing up as a kid, a teenager, buzzing around with your friends, with my friends, and driving through the McDonald's parking lot, as we did in Arlington Heights, with the radio blasting. The uh, top 40, uh, the great top 40 battle in Chicago between WLS and WCFL, Uh, you had to be there, as they say. (laughs) But it was, you know, punch one state, you know, punch back and forth, back and forth, because it was a battle to see. You know, who had the best song on at the time, and they all—all all the jocks were fantastic. And I, at some point, maybe when I was 13, 14, 15, I said, "Yeah, I want to do that." You know, yet my uh, SAT tests and all that said I would be a great mathematician. Come on, yeah, really? I got—I got, I don't know how they score the SAT anymore, but my math score was seven hundred and. 
36 or something out of a possible 800. Yeah, it's, it's what my, it was in my day. Yeah, my verbal score was like 440. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't read, you know, literally. I could read, but I couldn't read, if you know what I mean. Sure. Um, so they made me, I got into college, and they pushed me into math major, which is why I flunked out. Spent all my time at the campus radio station, and then went to Southern Illinois and got serious-er. More serious, <laughs> yeah, serious, serious or enough about the career, yeah, because that's when I my dad said, I'm not paying for you, anymore, sure, so you're on your own. What was it that initially attracted you to radio? Was it the music side of it or the personality? It was it, well, it was both. I was a really shy kid, and and the ability to be you know larger than life and to be to be in two places at once, yeah, uh, and you get girls, man. Why does anybody <laughs> get into entertainment? Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's the only way I got women. <laughs> I met dozens of them. <clears throat> I always said I made up for the time lost <laughs> in high school and college. Yeah, between wives for me. Yeah, <laughs> all that time, uh, those early radio years definitely made up for lost time. Yes. It, and when you first came to San Diego, though, in 73, I look at that as just the golden era in this town do you look at it the same way because you lived it yeah i looked at it from afar and i was a kid yeah i thought i mean i still love san diego my god i can't imagine being anywhere else but at in 1973 there were still farms in mission valley there weren't it wasn't this big concrete jungle that's down there now so there was that there was no freeway 15 you just go up uh 395 if you wanted to go to escondido which I think it was a two-lane road part of the way. Everything was spread out, and it still had the small-town feel, although I think the population at the time was uh, half a million, maybe, okay, maybe less. But compared to today. But you could get from one end to, of San Diego to the other in 20 minutes, and we called it the 20-minute city. But even back, because I moved here in the late 80s, and it was the same thing. It took you 15 to 20 minutes to get everywhere yeah but getting back to 1973 kpri that was a pretty incredible time to be at that radio station and in this market right well it was we didn't have any ratings uh our program director the guy who brought me out here mike harrison came from wnew in new york and so he had this whole new york attitude about it and so oh for all of oops for the all of 73 i could play anything i wanted but over the holidays into 74, Mike stripped the library down to maybe 300 records or something and gave us a clock to follow, you know, a, a crude format. Right. So all of a sudden we went from being able to play anything to being restricted to maybe, she's I don't know, 500 cuts like it is now. Yeah, so that was know. the start of it then, the yeah. mid-70s? Yeah, well, at, K- at KPRI it was, and, and I just said, I'm not going to work for this. You know, I'm not going to put up with this crap. You know, KGB at the time was still pretty much free form. They were playing 10,000 titles Jeez. with a, 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 some oversight, you know. So how did that work? You walk into a studio and you play whatever the hell you want. Yeah, or- I, I played classical music pieces and then played the Stooges, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have some, some, you know, something in between them, a buffer zone or something. Or, uh, yeah, you know, whatever, whatever struck my fancy. It's funny you bring up the Stooges, though, because I've got a friend who just reached out to me. He heard you were coming on and he's like, oh, man, please just tell it's my friend Vince, who I know is listening. He's like, 
please tell Jim thank you for introducing me to the jam. He goes, if it wasn't for Jim McGinnis, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know. the modern world. Yeah, he was, I wouldn't know the jam, and he also mentioned the Stooges. Yeah. Funny uh, enough. Iggy's one of my heroes. Oh, man. He's and, still doing it. And we're dude, about the same age, man. He was just on the North Shore of Oahu hanging out with all these pro surfers doing photo shoots yeah, I and performing. I, I, I hung out. In fact, a sidebar, when Iggy was in San Diego one, uh, I don't know, long time ago in the 80s, at some early 80s, he was at the studio that I was a partner with in uh, called Hit Single in College Grove Shopping Center. Iggy was in there with a couple other guys just working on tunes. Iggy playing guitar, and he had a bass and drum player, a drummer. And he popped his head out the studio and says, anybody here want to sing? Come I on. said, come on, I'll sing. <laughs> He's trying to work songs up. I said, uh, yeah, I'm in a band. And I was in a band called Land Piranha, but as a joke, I said, I'm in a band. We're called Derversed, <laughs> like a broadverst, you know, and we do some of your tunes. And he says, okay. Okay, so he starts playing, and then I start singing. Like, I pick up a can of soda and start singing the ingredients, you know? Shut and up. And I was totally, I've got this on tape at home, and it's totally off key and the most horrendous shit you ever heard. And Iggy stops, comes over, and takes off his glasses, and says, You really are the worst. <laughs> Come on, that is the coming from Iggy Pop. That's yeah. friggin' fantastic. Well, I was thrilled just to be in the same building with right? him. Right? Yeah. Oh, I want to hear more about this studio space, but uh, well, that's that's later. Yeah, that's later for part two of the show. Yeah. So early seventies, you're down here and you're working with Gabriel Wisdom at KPRI. And no, I, I, well, he wasn't. He was gone by the time I got. The oh, he was already gone. Yeah, but he was one of the people who started that. Sure. Thing. Yeah. And then you pivoted out of KPRI. Then once they they tried to put the whole yeah, on they you. clamped down the format on us, and I went over to KGB and said, "Look, uh, KPRI is turning into KLOS," which, you know. Is another legendary station, but at the sure. time they were very tightly formatted. And um, I said, I can't stand it. I got to get out of there. And, and Rick Liebert, who was hiring people at KGB, said, yeah, okay, we'll let you know. And then uh, I'll never forget, of course, because it was a day that changed my life. It was April 30th of 74. I'm doing the, my midday show on KPRI, and the phone rings, and it's Rick Liebert calling from KGB, and he says, We'd like you to be our new morning guy. Damn. I said, cool. When do you want me to start? <laughs> Tomorrow. Really? <laughs> May Day. So, May 1st, 1974. So no two-week notice. <clears throat> no. And, of course, the management of KPRI weren't thrilled. You know, yeah, we said, call you'll that, never work in this town again. We call that burning a bridge. Yeah. I've yeah. burned a few in my day. I understand. <laughs> Bye. Whatever. See ya. Time to move on. So for a princely 600 a month, I went over to KGB to do morning. Are you kidding? Yeah. No. $600 a month. 600 That's when a dollar was a dollar, Chris. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, what was rent here in San Diego at the time? It was probably $150. All month, right. Something like that. And where were you living in these uh, during the early 70s? Uh, first, I lived in Hillcrest, right across from the Blood Bank. Okay. A little apartment building there. And what was that town like then in the early 70s? It was just Hillcrest had all kinds of weirdos, and it hasn't changed much. Yeah, cool. You know, the Hare Krishnas were there then. And okay. You could always smell incense wafting through the air. And nice. It wasn't real, a lot of traffic, you know, right next to Balboa Park. Sure. So it was real nice. 
But uh, my girlfriend slash soon-to-be wife, Linda McInnes, who went on to a great radio career, said, uh, well, I want to live in a house. So we, she found a house that we rented on Florida Street. Okay. A little place smaller than this. I mean, it was a, a bungalow, I guess you'd call it. Sure. Or a shack, you know. And this is, again, in the 70s, mid-70s Yeah, this is 70, this point. 74. Yeah. <laughs> And then your wife, yeah. There's my my dog loves you, Jim. I know. All, All right, Felix, do. chill out. So, uh, what, what was the st- Linda? And you mentioned was also in broadcasting. Yeah, that's a whole other side trip. Yeah, Linda, I met at the college radio station, and uh, it was one of those things where you, you you look each other in the eye, and there's this like gong goes off in your head, at least in my head. And I said, "Boing," you know, like wow. So uh, she was always. Uh, when I was running WIBA, Radio Free Madison, she was always trying to get me to hire her, and I said, I, it wouldn't look right, you know, it wouldn't yeah. look right for me to hire my <laughs> girlfriend, you know. So when we got to KGB, the guy who hired me said, uh, your girlfriend's pretty good. I heard her do a weekend shift on KPRI. I said, yeah, can you bring her along with you too. So she got hired to do, I forgot, I think it was maybe overnights to start. Okay, this was so, no Jagger and Christie situation. No, no, no. We never did a show together. This is way, we were the first married couple probably in Cal, oh, that I was right? aware of in America. They, they Come were on. Doing a, a radio, uh, they were on the same station. station. At least admittedly married couple on yeah. the same station. So. Using the same name too. Bro- yeah. yeah. Broadcast, la- yeah. Yeah, eventually. S- eventually. After we got married, yeah. So you were the morning guy at KGB for six hundred bucks a month for how long? Six months. Six. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds like my type of gig. Oh, I come in and be like, "All right, KPRI one hundred one point five KPRI." God, people really get up this early. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I just sounded like, and I was laid back anyway, but I was laid down. You know, it's yeah. just like this it's is a tough shift. Too man. early. Oh, you're telling me. Is that when it became JM and the PM? No, that's when they moved me out to afternoons. Yeah. And I stuck there, stuck in afternoon for 14 years and did middays for 14 years. Dang, man. Yeah. So you were at KGB for a total of how many years? 28 years, six months, and 21 days. Nine yeah, minutes. Yeah, <laughs> nine minutes, but who's counting? Yeah, nobody's counting. Yeah, right? Wow. Because compared to my 11 years at 91X, that uh, makes that look... Good. Yeah, that's pretty good, but it's no 28 years. You did mornings for 11 years. Yeah, but that, that kicked my ass. Oh, no kidding. And certainly took its toll over time. But it's interesting because was your last run then at KGB when it was finally owned by Clear Channel? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, because what's so interesting to me, and, and when I reached out to you on Facebook and you're like, yeah, I'll come through, it'd be great. I thought to myself, I can't wait to tell you the story because when you worked at Clear Channel for KGB in the afternoons, I was doing mornings at 91X and it was the early 2000s. And this is when I was in my early 30s at this point and starting to get jaded. Just the industry, it was starting to take its toll on me as 91X was no longer independent, corporate owned. I felt this corporate stranglehold. I had this major disconnect with my manager who also happened to be your manager. And I'll never forget you getting blown out 
or I don't know if you got blown out or you left on your no, own. No, I was court. fired. Okay, you were blown out. I was blown away because I grew up, you know, like many people here in town listening to you. Yeah. And I just didn't understand how someone like Jim McGinnis gets fired from a radio station that he worked at for 28 years. Yeah, well, it, it was a budget cut. And I wasn't making much money, to tell you the truth. I mean, compared to what morning people get these days. I was doing afternoons, and I never, I only once cracked six figures. I don't know what it was other than it just, to me, just was such a sign where I was oh, yeah, like... it was a shot over the bow. It was that moment when I realized that I was completely disposable yeah. and I can be removed at any time. Furthermore, I remember I even kind of went to your defense and pressed my boss at the time because we already had a disconnect. And I was like, what the hell? What are you doing blowing out Jim McGinnis? Yeah. And I remember at the time he was like, hey, man, we're, we're making changes and he won't follow the company line or won't follow directive. <laughs> or he said something along those lines. Uh -huh. And I was like, give me a break. I remember getting so pissed. And it really was that moment. I swear to you where everything changed for me in the yeah, industry. For everybody. It was shockwaves. Yeah. You know, when I got fired, I had, well, obviously I had been there for more than 28 years. And I thought, uh, this will be great. I'll be able to retire from this station, you know, and they'll put a plaque on the wall and say, this guy set some kind of record, you know. Be like him. <laughs> you know, don't fuck up. You know, just uh, That's what your, I tried to do. Yeah, do your job and you know do keep it your well. mouth shut. Yeah. And don't don't mess in station politics and all that. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah, see I did that stuff. I mm -hmm. made the mistake of at times messing with station politics and getting too involved, which ultimately would lead to my demise in certain situations. But getting back to what you said, I completely concur in that I remember looking up to you and saying, Jim McGinnis can be on one radio station for over 25 years, a quarter century, and still be a dominating force in the market. That's something to aspire to. Well, it feels fine in my case. Um, after KGB fired me, I just kind of wandered around in a daze for a few months. Uh, first I said, oh, great, I don't have to work for these assholes anymore. And then reality hit me. I said, well, wait, I don't have a job. What am I going to do? So first thing I did was volunteer at uh, San Diego State for the reading for the blind program. So oh, that's awesome. I did that for a few months. And then um, Jazz 88 had a, an opening. So I said, hey, uh, hey, I know some jazz, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can do jazz, really. Well, come in here and prove it. So I did. And I've worked there now for going on 12 years. Yeah. I do their uh, Saturday night blues show now. Oh, I know. Which is you more do. up my alley than than the jazz. The jazz was fun, but the the other jocks there, you know, they'd snicker up their sleeves and go like, <laughs> "He doesn't really know anything about jazz," you know. What? Oh, it's a sidebar, you know. And when when uh, I was hired there, there was all these. Nobody ever said the jokes to my face, but it was like, "Uh oh, we have a you know a pro coming in. It's going to ruin the station." You know. Oh they're gonna, come on. They're going to change the format. All this shit. You know, like what? What is Jim McInnes doing here? He's a rock jock. He's a corporate radio guy yeah, from Clear no. Channel. And I never thought of myself as a rock jock or anything. I just thought of myself as a radio person. Uh, you know, I always said I could do anything. You just put me on the air. If it's music, tell me what kind of music it is. 
Yeah. I played Montavani records in college. You know, <laughs> you know, Lawrence Welk, whatever, you know, anything. It's about if you're a radio person, you do radio. Yep. You know, but we get pigeonholed in, into being, well, he's classic rock. I don't ever want to hear a classic rock song again in my life. <laughs> well, some I take that back. Some of them I get your I never, point. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, the because ones that are toast. There gets to be a point, especially when you were at a station for twenty-eight years, where that station becomes part of your identity, or people on the outside view you as that station. Right. It's about a year and a half ago. I got to thinking. Well, I'm. I'm. I'm collecting social security now you know i right. reached that age and i said well i wonder just to augment my social security i wonder if i could get like a weekend job at kgb you know and then at whenever the time comes i could retire from there instead of in my you know my legacy right. being he was kicked out so i've been doing saturdays noon to six for the last year and a half now, when you That's look back to your uh, your early days at KGB, did you have, because that's one thing that I think is different with radio today than back then, where you were actually able to build relationships with artists. Did you have any relationships with artists that you... That... Only the ones that I knew before they came out with records, like Cheap Trick is my prime example. I, I knew those Rick, Peter, uh, Rick uh, Nielsen and Tom Peterson I sort of knew back in Wisconsin. I had been fans of theirs since I love Cheap Trick. 1969 or something, 68, ah. yeah. When they were called the Grim Reapers, and then they were called Fuse. And I just followed them all through their career. And when they came around with that first record, 1977, I got a chance to interview them, and it was just like, Hey, all right. Yeah, let's do it. You know, do a, a liner for me, Rick. Hey, I'm Rick from Cheap Trick, and you're listening to Jim McInnes. He's been my pal for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. blah blah blah. So no, so no. The answer to your question is no. <laughs> there was always a separation. So those stories of artists. Oh, well, I, there's groups I hung around. I hung around with Super Tramp at the Hotel Dell, and I hung around with, you know, but there wasn't like just they wouldn't just pop in and right. say, "How you doing, Jim?" But the uh, the stories you'd hear of radio in yesteryear where bands or management would bring records by with a sack of weed or a pile oh, of coke. Oh, well, that's certainly happened, but I wasn't the music director. <laughs> there were times when the music director would call me on the, the line and say, hey, uh, Charlie's here from the band Charlie. I don't know if you remember a band called Charlie. No, I well, don't. But he's got something for us. Come down to the office. I, you know, okay. <laughs> you know, and then you can picture the mirror and the... Oh, yeah. The, the rest is history, yeah, right. as they say. But I want to hear, before I say goodbye, your best rock and roll story ever. <laughs> you have to have one. Oh, God. Best rock and roll story. No, wait a minute. You're asking a guy who's been in the business for 47 years to come yep. up with a story. Yep. There has to be. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. Here's one. Okay. Here's one. Bob Seeger had just put out Night Moves. Before that, he was huge in Michigan. You know, he couldn't get arrested anywhere else. He comes to the sports arena to open for Black Sabbath. A friend, a friend of mine and I were backstage and uh, wandering around. I said, I want to meet Bob Seeger because I'd been a fan of his since Ramblin' Gamblin' Man, which was in 1969. And we ran into him backstage, just walked into his dressing room, and there he was, you know, with 
the, the silver bullet band and Bob and, and Alto Reed, the sax player and Randy and I got, got to talking. And, uh, I said, uh, to Bob, I hold up the little, the little, little bottle with the spoon that moves on the end of it. You know, <laughs> and Bob's eyes light up and we go, you know, <laughs> Bob and Alto Reed. And then, uh, they go out and play the set and then they come back and we're backstage again and they come over and they're slapping us on the back. <laughs> You guys made all the difference, man. We kicked ass out there. We kicked ass out there. And then to celebrate, we, we shared a joint with, with Bob and, and Alto. Now you'd be lucky to even get you know backstage, much less just walk into Bob Seeger's dressing room and do a line of Coke with him. You know? <laughs> and, and as a, re a reward, they sent me a, a tour jacket uh, a couple of weeks later. Uh, which I still have. It's it's one of those. It's more like a parka than a tour jacket. Yeah, you're from man, Michigan. Of you know. course. <laughs> so uh, I just I had that dry clean recently and wo wore it uh, through the neighborhood, and no one said anything. And it all came down <laughs> to the blow you gave Bob Seeger. <laughs> That's right. Not the blow job. No. The, the blow. Yes. The illegal <laughs> drug that. We shared with Robert Seeger. So when did you meet, how did your wife Sandy come into play? Because obviously well, I know let's Sandy. let's have to backtrack to Linda. Uh, Linda McKinnis. Linda and I got married in 74. And she got the morning show at KGB. And she was really popular. Yeah. For years and years and years. Uh, but personally, she was bipolar. So I would come home you know after my show and i didn't know who was going to be there you know yeah. her or her alter egos um but anyway we split up and she got a job uh doing klos doing uh i forgot what she did i think middays on klos how long was she there a few years until i don't remember the exact story yeah. but she blew some contest and cost them a lot of money oh jeez. so then she went to San Francisco, and then ultimately her uh, her disease got the best of her, and she took her own life <sighs> ten or fifteen years ago. Okay. But so we were divorced by seventy six. So Sandy, I met in seventy eight or nine, and she was the wife of uh, Raymond Bannister, who was on KPRI at the time. And then Raymond got a job to go to K Rock, so he, he went up to. Mondo in the morning. Jeez. Yeah. And she got divorced from him because they weren't getting along. And one thing led to another. And I started to, to go out with Sandy. And then uh, we got married in uh, 1984. Crazy. And then uh, she got fired from KPRI where she was working because she was dating me. <laughs> <laughs> so I got her a job, or I helped to get her a job at KGB, where she worked for a little while, and then she went over to KFMB to do promotions for a number of years. Now she's been at uh, Fox 5 Television for 25 years. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's so crazy. She's the breadwinner now. <laughs> yeah. I got one of those too, buddy. Uh, it's amazing to me, though, because Sandy is just, to me, she's kind of like the surrogate mother of all radio broadcasters. <laughs> she's a great woman. She is incredible. I have so much love for your wife because there have been times in my career where I've been absolutely at my lowest just mm -hmm. emotionally just in a really bad place where sandy has just been such a light of just sunshine and hope 
at times where I have been so low that I will always hold her in the highest regard. Yeah, she thinks that of you as well. Really? Yeah. She's telling me, he's, he's a really nice guy. Just tell him I said hi. <laughs> tell, give him a hug for me. Well, All right. Well, I, I'll get the hug on the way. We'll yeah. just rub elbows. That's fine. Yeah. But no, I've always had so much love for your wife just because I just feel like she does look out for personalities in mm-hmm. the market. Being married to one, I would imagine yeah. would be the backbone of sure. that. She'd try to help you find a gig. Or She's always so cool about yeah, yeah, man. She's always been so rad with that. And didn't you have a thing going on with your health a couple of years back, right? Oh, that's a whole other thing, Chris. I'm, I'm lucky to be sitting here. I, I've had uh, two spine operations, This both of which broke down. The second one was spinal fusion, and that cracked apart about 10 years ago. Okay. Then I had a brain tumor in 2012. That's what I remember. Because yeah. that was the same year my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. And now you're five years on the other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just had a bout with pancreatitis uh, six months ago. So Damn. I was hospitalized again. But that's just due to my bad habits. You know, I've had to change my diet since then. Uh, what do you attribute the brain thing to? Bad luck? God, nobody knows. You never know, <clears throat> It took right? away my ability to smell, though. Did it? Yeah, I can't smell a thing, which so, has its advantages. Yeah, but, right? But, but it might say mostly disadvantages. I would say dis, but yeah. I have been ripping farts for the last half hour, and you yeah. haven't said anything. Couldn't so. tell you. I, all I, everything I smell is beige. Oh, <laughs> man. You know what I mean? It's just all nothing. Man, and it's so weird to think because so many broadcasters have dealt with similar things. I sometimes wonder if it's the the professions we've chosen, being around all these wires and equipment and things humming and all that. What was that like? How did you find out you had a tumor? Well, I I was slowly losing my ability to smell. Oh, that's what it was. Well, that's because I smoked, you know, I smoked cigarettes, so I quit and it didn't make any difference, you know. I still couldn't smell anything. Yes, I quit smoking, and I haven't started again. Good for you. Do it. It was seven or eight years now. But anyway, uh, I couldn't still smell, so I went to a, a ear, nose, and throat guy. And he said, well, you know, in these cases, we usually do a, an MRI to make sure you don't have a tumor. right? You know, So there's the MRI, and guess what? You have a tumor. Uh-huh. And it's the size of an avocado, and it's behind the center like behind your nose and impinging will be impinging on your eyesight if we don't take it out jesus so they cut my head as you can see from here to here like yeah i 12 remember inch, they had to crack my skull open 12 inches across the front there pry it open get the thing out i don't know what they use an ice cream scoop or something <laughs> <laughs> get the thing and then stapled my head back together a floby they just sucked it out <laughs> yeah right Vacuum were you scared cleaner. i'd be so scared I, <clears throat> I wasn't at all no i wasn't scared i uh no hospitals and surgeries don't scare me because of the drugs <laughs> <laughs> they make you feel like everything's just fine hey jim we're going to saw into your skull is that okay yeah sure go ahead guys. bring it just keep me in this keep me in this state the whole time will you (laughs) wow this is great colonoscopy sure let's do one even leading up to it though you weren't nervous no really because i figured well if i leave it there i'll go blind so let's do it let's get it out man so so on the other side of all of this 
do you feel like it's changed you at all? Having you, a brain tumor? Yeah. Do you look at the world different? No. Life different? No. No. Nothing. No. Uh, my wife thinks I'm a nicer guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I always, I always thought I was a nice guy. I, I Really, Chris, I couldn't tell you. It's like, yeah. It's like, okay, I had a tumor. They took it out. Let's continue. Let's carry on here. Sure. Just keep moving forward. Yeah. Timothy Leary once said, uh, "Who, with whom I did a radio show, Gabriel Wisdom and Timothy Leary. Uh, if you don't know who Timothy Leary is, kids, look him up. He was a, one of the uh, prime movers behind LSD and popularizing it. But he w- said uh, in a very concise statement about life, he said, be here now. That's it. You know, I think it was Leary said that. Somebody, anyway, be here now. Don't worry about then. Don't worry about the future. You're here in this moment, so live in the moment. So that's how I try to do it. Well, I've enjoyed this moment with you. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. And a great neighbor at that. Jim McGinnis, thank you so much. Uh, What a treat. I I just I got nothing. Just I can't wait to sit down with Jim again. And be sure to check him out on KGB in the San Diego area. Uh, Saturday is from noon to 6 and all his other endeavors. And thank you so much, especially as we wrap up the year, for supporting what we're doing. Uh, It's been a crazy one, needless to say, but I couldn't have gotten through this year without you, and I mean that. We do have a Patreon set up at patreon.com forward slash you. Mariposa Ice Cream gives a, a healthy donation every month that really helps keep the network alive and we appreciate that as well as every one of you i just got such an awesome actually uh, message the other day from sonia saying that uh here at you we were able to make her 2017 uh, a lot better and she is a patron and we've done our best to make sonia happy and everyone in our little network so it, it doesn't go unappreciated and i'm so grateful and thankful so i look forward to doing more with you in 2018 until then be well and you know the deal